You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Ladies and gentlemen, odd times we're living in don't justly describe how 2021 has been thus far. We're not even the full two weeks in, and it's basically 2020, but on meth. I think that's a pretty good way of describing it. Um, I mean, this was the heavy metal, like, you know, crazy town version of things. And I, I made you a promise when when we came back last May it was that I will not talk politics and I will try and avoid it as often as possible. But, you know, the thing about having a show about trying to build a better life, about trying to develop the mindset, skills, knowledge, the financial independence, the things that you need to make yourself as independent and as full of abundant choices and options as possible means understanding the world around you. And for a majority of the audience, 90% of you who are within North America, um, we, we all know what's going on, but to, to be quite frank with you, I have, while I, while I have definitely been, uh, been trying to catch up with everything, I've been ignoring the major cable outlets, uh, you know, with everything going on with, with Parler the past week. Let me tell you, I am so freaking glad I left when I did because I would not want to be there uh, for that for for what happened and we'll, we'll be talking a little bit of that later um i will be writing a full a full piece on my thoughts about what happened and where the future of uh you know free speech on the internet goes in my newsletter you can subscribe to that at the Substack link below but um i was recently linked with a with a gentleman who's put a little bit more thought into this than i have his name is alexander salter he's an economics professor at rawls college of business at texas tech University and Comparative Economics Research Fellow at TTU's Free Market Institute. So somebody that knows a, a thing or two about what people care about when it comes to the jobs, the economy, and dollars and cents. He is the author of more than 150 academic and popular articles. He's been featured at Quillette, The Hill, National Review. And today, we're talking about his recent Washington Times piece. And by the way, he's also a Young Voices contributor. I want to go ahead and give them a special shout out for linking us today. Alexander, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. How's it going? Hey, Ramzo. Thank you very much for having me. So let, let's just kind of jump into the, to the meat and bones of it. What, what was your recent piece about? So my recent piece, uh, as you might know, given the chaos that unfolded at the Capitol on January 6th, was about the riots, it was about the violence that broke out, and to what extent GOP politicians are morally complicit in all this. And I try and keep an open mind, I try not to go too hard on any one side and take a predictable response, but I really do think that this is a case in which, quote unquote, enlightened opinion has it right. I really do think that President Trump and his supporters like Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz are morally complicit in the seditious event that took place on January 6th, and I am furious. Uh, my op-ed is very angry in tone, it's very condemnatory in tone, and that was intentional. 
I wanted to call out these people for behaving irresponsibly or unpatriotically, and I think I did so. And I wanted to caution people that nobody whose ambitions for the Oval Office make them willing to trample a democracy just so they can become the leader of a democracy makes them fit to become president. And so the line that I repeatedly use throughout the op-ed is never Trump, never Holly, never Cruz. And I stand by that. Yeah. And I, I'm going to go ahead and link to your full article in the show notes. I, I really recommend that, you know, whether you listen to this uh, full interview now or read it later, or whether you pause and go read it, um, you, you shouldn't just listen to this without the full context. So please go read it. And I, I've got it in front of me, Republicans who flirted with Trump's election fraud lies complicit in his sedition. Uh, to to kind of let you know my mindset going into this, because we all kind of have a bias when we look at these pieces. Immediately, my thoughts before I actually read the piece were, oh, I wonder if he said the same thing about Democrats when it came to the BLM riots that occurred for months. I wonder if he would, you know, put all these other people to the same standard. And and really, I think you do. And as coming from somebody who is really politically independent, though I did vote for Trump in 2020, um, I, I think you make a lot of good points. And this is one of those really sensitive topics because I can't say anything without pissing people off. And I mean, you, you could understand how that could make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, the one thing that you did say, which I, which really kind of stuck out to me, I'll go ahead and read it. Mr. Trump and his ilk claim they are standing up for free and fair elections. Nonsense. The factual legal arguments surrounding allegations of widespread election fraud are bogus. Once and for all, let's put to rest the, the absurd narrative of Messrs. Trump, Hawley, and Cruz. Too much is at stake for their insanity to go unchallenged. That was, that was kind of a tough pill for me to read, to, to be quite honest. And, uh, you know, I think no matter where people stood on election day, right now people are, are really kind of setting into their partisan camps. And, I mean, here's the thing. I, I wanted a recount. Um, I knew that with uh, mail-in ballots and everything going on, I didn't think that a recount would be anything that would necessarily be a partisan issue. If we really care about our democracy, if we really care about free and fair elections, that would be the case. So I was like, okay, give him a couple weeks count. If he really lost Georgia, if he really lost all these other states where it really looked like he was going to win, like Pennsylvania, for example, let's, let's just go ahead and do it. It's been a weird year. This will put everyone's minds at ease. What bothered me though, was as soon as the election was over, it wasn't even really over. It went on until really a couple of weeks ago, even despite the electoral college certifying uh, the presidency for president elect Biden. And that, that's a, that's a thing that a lot of people don't like, but here's the truth. As much as there were cases of election fraud, we saw this in Pennsylvania with the postal workers carrying in ballots from New York. We saw this with, uh, certain situations in Maricopa County where, uh, election observers were kicked out while there were pockets of voter fraud. And you mentioned this in your article, um, you know, I, this idea that it was widespread and it was some giant centralized conspiracy and that there were enough votes in all of these counties across the country to, if they had just been recounted or whatever, they would have swung the election for President Trump. It, it doesn't seem to be that way. And as much as maybe I would have liked it to have been that way, that's just not the truth. Right. So there's a lot going on there. And I think we should unpack all of it because you said very many important things. So first, I agree that there are a troublingly large number of people who are going just nuts about the Capitol riots who were oddly quiet during the riots earlier this summer that destroyed small businesses, 
uh, often city halls, police departments. That is a double standard. We should be clear about that. It's not okay to be opposed to one kind of political violence and coddle and enable other kinds of political violence. Always and ever, I'm pretty libertarian, but even I think that the ultimate act of good government is to shoot into a mob. Not a left-wing mob, not a right-wing mob, a mob, period. So if you're okay with mobs, if they agree with your particular political ideology, you and I probably are not going to see IDI based on politics. That being said, I think what happened on January 6th is so much higher stakes, simply because it was an interruption of the certification of a transfer of power of a presidential administration. That's at the heart of our government. You can't compare uh, a mayor of a woke town or a small business owner who had losses incurred to this. I think that that's just so much more important because that's at the heart of the governance process itself. And so while I think that we must be uniform in condemning any and all mob political violence, I just think the stakes of this one are so much higher that it's simply imprudent to engage in any kind of whataboutism right now. Not that I'm saying that's what you're doing, but I have seen plenty of people who are just frankly saying, I'm not going to listen to anybody who's complaining about the Capitol riots, who wasn't also uh, spending hours and hours on Twitter condemning the Black Lives Matter slash Antifa riots from this summer. I don't think that that's a reasonable position. Going on to what you said later, I think that you and I are actually closer on the election than it might seem. I agree that there were small scale instances of fraud. I even think that there were localized pockets of fraud. I simply don't see any way that there was enough coordinated across the relevant states to make a difference in terms of the national election because these things were investigated. There were recounts, there were audits, there were uh, legal inquiries, there were arguments before court. It's worth also pointing out that many times Trump's legal team wouldn't even make allegations of fraud in a courtroom setting because they know that there are consequences to bringing baseless accusations before a judge. So they yeah, couldn't. I, I want to I pause on that real fast because this is, this is the one thing I said on Parler, rest in peace, Parler, that actually got a lot of people to like start calling me a pinko commie. I said, if anybody's going to go to jail, it should be Rudy Giuliani. Uh, I said that he should have been going to jail during the the Trump Ukraine situation that led to his impeachment. Uh, you know, up until January of 2020, I, I think that Rudy Giuliani and I, I want to make this all about him. But like, I think that if anyone should go to jail for something, it should be Rudy Giuliani. And like, I'm I'm not a lawyer. You know, I went to school, but I'm a pretty C average American. I've watched a lot of Law and Order, and what I do know is this: if you're going to start a case. And if you're going to try and get it in front of a federal judge, you can't just accuse somebody of doing something without evidence. And what him and Sidney Powell did this too was they, they jumped the gun. I think if they had actually had some, some shred, like an ounce of evidence for each of the individual cases, because this is where I think network news really screwed up. They tried saying, oh, it's just, you know, one chain, it's just one case, or it's just a handful of cases. No, it, it was upwards of 90 different suits that they filed at minimum last I checked. And all of them were just basically, let's, let's go to court. And uh, by the way, we, we, we need some time to figure this out. And it's like, you don't, you don't file that and then say, we, we need some time. And you, you don't, accuse somebody of doing something without saying we don't have the evidence yet. That's just what, what I think is basic lawyering number one. And if, you know, if, if people, if, if, if the 75 million people that voted for Trump had to put their faith 
in Rudy Giuliani of all things. It's one of those situations where it's like, you know, you, you, you probably should have read what the filings were. And the filings from somebody that is not a lawyer, somebody that is in the president's court for this, I'm looking at this and I'm like, this isn't, this isn't really good. Then this is kind of sloppy. And you shouldn't be surprised when Repub- when conservative judges who were appointed by the president are saying, I'm not going to let you enter my courtroom unless you actually have an actual case to bring. Yes, exactly. A lot of these lawsuits were legendarily bad. We're talking about really basic mistakes like filing uh, a Minnesota petition in, in a Pennsylvania court or something like that, mixing up the states on the filing lines. These things were done in scattershot fashion. It was literally just throw whatever we can at the court system and see what sticks. It was not prepared. And of course, it was the president's right to challenge electoral results if, in fact, he thought that there were specific instances of fraud. My big thing was fanning the narratives of some sort of a coordinated conspiracy, right? calling it an actual stolen election, basically putting these delusions in people's heads, because there are a lot of people who are in the president's court that supported the president, and I don't begrudge them for that. What I do begrudge them for is not actually looking for evidence that would disconfirm their views. And of course, I blame the president for his utter lack of leadership since the election. Because let's not forget, and in addition to the debacle on January 6th, the president's behavior and the behavior of the Republican Party also lost them the Senate. It was theirs to lose. I don't think anybody would have predicted in mid-November that the Republicans could possibly lose both of those seats. I, I, I will I will disagree on that to a degree of I, I think that when it came to 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 the two senators from Georgia, I mean I, I've been saying they don't deserve to be in the Senate. They deserve to be in jail. I mean I think it's I, I think it wasn't even six months ago that they were that, that they were, you know, pleading for Trump to protect them from allegations of insider trading and stuff. And that that's still something that nobody likes to talk about. So you look at the fact that the constituents were mad. You look at the fact that everyone is looking at these people and they're like, you, you should probably be in a jail cell if this is true. I, I, I feel like it shouldn't have been that much of a surprise. I mean, if we're having to worry about these two people keeping things stable for Republicans, then it, it was it was kind of it, it was kind of gone from from the get go. You probably have greater political vision than I do because I was sure as heck surprised. (laughs) I thought thought at worst it was going to be a one-for-one split. The Republicans would hold the Senate. We would have gridlock for a couple of years. It would be fine. There's a lot to be said for gridlock. Gridlock, given the uh, especially radical nature of the Democratic Party platform right now, has a lot going for it. And I was really looking forward to there being some roadblock in front of the worst policies that I think that we're going to see over the next couple of years. And instead, you know, uh, I forget the senator's name from West Virginia who might who might not caucus with them on all the important stuff. Uh, Manchin. That's right, Joe Manchin. So yeah. barring that, I think that we who value limited government and free markets are in for a rough couple of years. Yeah, and I mean this is th- this is my biggest worry right now because I I I will give Trump credit for this. Uh, he was never, ever, ever given a fair shot by even the most moderate of Democrats when it came to the court of public opinion in terms of elected Democrats. Uh, from day one, it was, we're going to impeach him. We'll find something. He's obviously done something. We have to find it. And they eventually did when it came over the Ukraine situation. Um, and I mean, it was all it was all Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all of that, um, you know, 
of course, he's going to be a little pissed when it comes to trying to lead a country that thinks that Vladimir Putin put you there. And at, at least it from, in my opinion, because I know that despite the facts, everyone kind of lands differently on this. I believe the Russia thing was a hoax. I believe that even the Ukraine thing, while there were probably some, some, some problems with that. I don't believe that they should have impeached him on that. I think there were other things they could have done uh, in terms of abuse of powers, but not that. What, what, I, what I really fear now is that we, we just went from that with a Republican president to now four years of Biden's administration having to deal with, he launched this giant, miraculous theft of American democracy and he's an illegitimate president. And despite all the things that Republicans could try and do, it's just going to be about that. And nothing, nothing, nothing good comes from this because it's not based on truth. It stopped being about truth after, you know, everyone was like, well, the Pennsylvania case got thrown out. Oh, we'll send it to the Supreme court thinking that's going to be something like 2000 Gore v. Bush, but no, even even Judge Thomas looks at it and he's like, this, this, you, you can't bring this here. We're not looking at this case. So now it's like if there was going to even be a gridlock government, which now are at the point where that that's gone, the, the Democrats have everything. Now it's going to be they they stole it, they stole it, they stole it, they rigged the election for four years. And and that's what bothers me the most. Yeah, that's going to be the narrative on the right. And that's going to be something that's particularly damaging uh, in the broader context of right and left sort of siloing themselves and their preferred ideological outlets and only consuming narratives and news, quote unquote news, that reinforce their political priors. So in order for liberal democracy, and by liberal, I mean classically liberal, right? I mean like the enlightenment, I mean checks and balances, all that stuff. I don't mean American leftiness. In order for liberal democracy to work, you need some sort of commonality between the political factions so that politics isn't all out war. And I think that the last of those buttresses are very quickly falling. I'm actually a little bit worried about continued political violence between now and the inauguration. Uh, God willing, it doesn't happen. But I'm also worried about what's going to happen over the next couple of years. Because if we're just trading back and forth seats in the legislature and eventually the Oval Office, between two political factions that see the other one as fundamentally criminal and illegitimate, this, you know, stop this ride. I want off. Do you, do you think that the president should resign for what happened? I think that the president should resign. Yes. I think that what he did was impeachable, although I would personally prefer to see the 25th invoked, but it looks like that's not going to happen. Uh, for context, I also believe that Russia was massively overblown. I'm not willing to call it a conspiracy. I just think that it was uh, group incompetence, right? Never blame on conspiracy what you can attribute to incompetence in politics. Uh, I thought that Ukraine was bad, but not impeachable. I think that this is impeachable. I really do think that this is the last straw, even though I don't think that there was a legal crime, according to the criminal statutes committed by the president. That's not what high crimes and misdemeanors means. I think this crosses a line, and I think that for the future of American democracy, the president needs to be held accountable for that. You think if they pull the 25th, that would make things better or worse? I actually think the 25th would work better than impeachment, because impeachment, again, would be viewed as a purely partisan process, whereas if they go the route of the 25th, there's at least some semblance of the GOP disciplining its own worst elements from the inside. And so I think that that would be a little bit more easily swallowed by the new base that Trump has found and solidified. I'm not saying that would go down smooth. Nothing's going to go down smooth at this point. It's just a matter of what's least bad. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think I'm a little bit ignorant on how this process is. So they do. So correct me if I'm wrong. They don't need to formally impeach him to pull the 25th Amendment. That's correct. They need the vice president and his cabinet to say, we no longer think the president can do his duties. He is no longer fit for office. He is incompetent in some way. Uh, and that would basically trigger the process that removes the president from power. Now, obviously, the president can object to this. He can send a written letter to Congress saying, no, my cabinet and my vice president, they're just out of line. I am perfectly fine. At which point it goes to a congressional vote. But the process of removing a sitting president from power can be started by the vice president and the cabinet appointees. It's not formal impeachment. It's something different. So so let, let's... And you know things can happen in, in in a couple of days, but let's let's just talk about like right here, right now. So let's say it's it's Monday as we're speaking. This happens, and Tuesday they do it. Pence gets sworn in. Is it then Pence's job to do everything he needs to do to have the transition of power between this Republican administration to Joe Biden's administration, or do they just go ahead and toss toss Joe in there? No, I think that Pence's job is to finalize the transition. Joe Biden's not going to be president until Inauguration Day and he takes the oath of office. It will be a very, very short presidency for a hypothetical President Pence, but a presidency nonetheless. He'll be the guy in the room. He'll be the guy in charge for the next X days. And it's his job to make sure that the process of transition to the next administration is orderly. It's basically just keeping the ship of state on a reasonably steady course and trying, if we can, to lower the temperature a little bit, which is pretty much the only thing that Joe Biden said on the campaign trail that I agree with. The temperature of politics is too high. We got to find a way to bring it down. I wish it wasn't him, though. And it is me just talking from the hip. I mean, like the, the, the whole, you know, like growing up when like Joe was vice president, like he wasn't that unlikable. I think everyone kind of looked at him as like America's goofy uncle. And while everyone says that Trump talks shit about half the country. I, I, I feel, and I could be wrong. Joe, Joe did enough of that on the campaign trail, you know, calling people at rallies and stuff. This is just, this, this is like a no win situation for anything because part of me is like, you know, I think I could see the whole 25th amendment right now. I don't like it, but I could see that just for the sake of making people feel comfortable. Then the other side of me is like, well, it's less than, it's less than not, it's not even two weeks Obviously, he doesn't want to do anything else. I mean, he's been completely removed from everywhere. I mean, apparently Pinterest banned him. And it's like, what was he doing on Pinterest? But I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a whole other thing. Like, I, I, I'm worried that no matter what happens, nothing, nothing positive comes out of this. Nothing gets brought down, especially with, with everything that happened over the weekend with him basically getting his ability to speak directly to people removed. I feel like if, if Republicans weren't already, you know, somewhat like, okay, he just needs to shut up and be quiet and go now. Now they're like, Oh, well, this is, this is an attack on everybody, which, which I get, but man, this, this just, this just does not look good either way. Cause it's not going to be good either way. (laughs) It just has to be tolerable, right? Just grin and bear it. It's gonna suck. The only thing that we can do right now is make it suck the least amount possible. With regards to Biden, uh, I'm not sure what to make of him now. 
you're right that America sort of uh, viewed him. I think, what was it? John Stewart called him all the time on The Daily Show, Crazy Uncle Joe. So there you go. Even the left was, <laughs> even the left was indulging in, you know, this pleasant, uh, this pleasant idea of Joe's just a little bit off the rails, but in a good way. Yeah, did, you, did you ever watch Robin Williams stand up? No, I've uh, I've seen a couple of routines, but nothing more than one or two. I, ironically, like the year, I think it I think it was two thousand nine. He did a special on Comedy Central where it was like uh, Robin Williams is politically incorrect or something. It's so funny how the term just changes now. But like he he actually like in two thousand eight in two thousand eight he's he's a, he's making fun of Joe Biden saying that the man has dementia and stuff. Like it's, it's funny to watch and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that, but it's like, this is one of those situations where I I feel like for libertarians, people like us who just kind of want to be left alone and allow people to live their lives as long as they don't hurt others or take their stuff. Like we're the biggest casualties of this because, you know, if there ever was any, anything that could be done if the Democrats, they're they, they've basically shown over the past year that they're willing to put people out of work. You, you don't have your own right to a livelihood, that they will seize as much power as possible, straight up limiting your ability to move. And, and when it comes to the Republicans, they're willing to do that just as much. But then instead of actually talking about policy, now it's all paranoia and conspiracy. And then that leaves people like you, me, the listeners and we're kind of just standing there like it there, there there's a third option. And I mean, I, I, I pissed off some friends of mine. It was, it was quite, I, I think it's funny now that I kind of look at it in hindsight. I live 30 minutes outside of the Capitol and uh, I had people coming from our state coming from the, the West coast, like, Hey man, why don't you come to the rally, man? I know you voted for Trump. Come on, brah. You live right there. Come on. We'll rally. We'll go grab lunch. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to waste my time because it's over and yelling and screaming and waving a Trump flag on the day that the Senate and the house and everyone in between is doing what they formally have to do what do you expect to come from this? Because at this point, for everyone that did march towards the Capitol and for the, num- for, the, for the few people that actually went in and acted like freaking morons who should be arrested, you know, it's like you're not fighting for limited government. You're not fighting for liberty. You're not even fighting for a free and fair process. You're fighting and you're screaming and you're bitching because the person that you wanted to be president isn't president. And I'm sorry, that's part of life. I know a lot of people went home after that, but some people are still here. And it's like, listen, go home. Just, you're, you're not wanted here. It's done. And you can't say that anything good is coming out of this because nothing is. This isn't the Tea Party. This isn't anything. This was just, this was just people that can't accept it. Yeah, this was just hooliganism straight up. And there is no plausible way that this is going to result in anything friendly to liberty coming out of Washington for the foreseeable future. Right? In order for liberty to work, in order for people to accept it, they have to be able to live together in peace. And I don't necessarily mean that they have to get around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, but you basically have to trust you and you have to trust me to leave each other alone and only do collective action if there are some things that are essential that we need to take care of. Given how low trust is across political lines right now, even before the Capitol riots, 
And given how even lower it's going to go in the next coming weeks, I'm just worried that we don't have the necessary cultural capital left for people to want or care about liberty. It's just going to be raising the stakes. It's just going to be a more blunt and powerful federal government. The only thing that changes is which side of the political spectrum gets beaten every two to four years. If, if, I'm, sure really, I'm sure you're really happy to hear that. I come with being <laughs> an optimistic guy. I, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm in this situation and, uh, you know, I, I was, I, you, you, you probably don't know much about me. I was a political consultant. I was an activist. I worked for nonprofits, think tanks, advocacy groups, super PACs, candidates. Like I, I feel I'm not mad. I just feel tired and I feel worn out because I spent, I'm, I'm 26 now. I spent the latter ends of my teens and probably some of the most productive years of my life uh, pushing for these things. And I know so many of us that have, because you don't talk about these liberties, ide- these liberty ideas, unless you genuinely love it. There are far more lucrative things to do than this, as you probably know. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I could have, uh, I could have gone and been an investment banker or something, in which case life would be a little more flush with cash than it is right now. College professors don't do bad, but you're absolutely right. We're in this because we care about the ideas. We're in this because we care about the values of a free society. And it is just tough recommending what we see as common sense things like, hey, how about we all not go to war with each other and watching 90% of society go, nah, to hell with that. Let's go to the mattresses. Well, okay, if you want to, I guess, but we'll, don't come to us. We'll just say, we told you so. I, uh, I, I have this story that I, I've kept it for a few years and I eventually came out around, I think a week or so after the election to talk about it on a, on Ben Stein's show, the world, according to Ben Stein, that was where I first came out with it. But I'll say it again here in 2018, I was managing a city council race for an at-large seat in Lynchburg, Virginia. And it was for a Republican candidate. And, you know, it was, it was in 2018. So just right, right before the midterms, I think it was in May of that year. And the Republicans drafted my candidate extremely late. He probably only had a week to get, I think it was like three, 400 signatures from registered voters in, in the city. And I had, I had a state, I'm sorry, no, it was, it was the local the, the local GOP chair, I'm on the phone with him and I'm telling him I'm just a little bit stressed. And there's a, there's a moment of silence and he's like, Hey, your, your guy, he, he, he ran for office a few years ago. Right. And I'm like, yes, he did. He actually ran for a, for a ward seat. So at large means the entire city votes for you. A ward means that depending on how your city is split, you're, you're in like a certain, uh, you know, certain, certain suburb. So he probably, you know, he, he probably could have had the signatures just from his own neighborhood alone if he just knocked on every door. And uh, he was like, what if you somehow got the, the petition from when he ran like in 2016 and you just go ahead and you, you find that and you put all the names and you just signed for everybody on this new petition because they're probably still here, right? I mean, who's really going to look at all this? And, and I just remember, I felt like somebody had just hit me in the back of the head because here I am on the phone with somebody who's an elected 
county chairman of the Republican Party literally telling me to commit signature fraud. And I'm just like, did you just ask me to literally commit a felony? And he's like, well, come on, man. The Dems do it. I'm like, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about right here. You just asked me to commit a crime. And obviously, the the conversation didn't go well. I never spoke with him for the rest of the election. I I went out and me and my candidate got more than enough valid real signatures and we did it the right way and the legal way. And I I would tell some people this this story privately, but I wouldn't tell them it was me and I wouldn't tell them it was a Republican. And it was funny because I would usually, my, my crowd is very center right. Um, so I'd tell this to them and they're like, oh, those Democrats, right? And then that's when I say, no, it was it was a Republican who did this. And then they get quiet and uncomfortable. And then that's when the whataboutism comes. Well, you know, the Dems do it. And this isn't like you're, 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 you're creating fraudulent votes. It's just signatures. You know, it's, it's one thing you can do that nobody will notice and nobody will know. And that's the thing. It's like, well, I will know. And it's not honest to anybody. And this is not about Democrats or Republicans. This is, in very blunt terms, about control over your money over your property, over your liberty. This is about control over the biggest monopoly of violence that man can create, local, state, or federal. And until people are willing to accept that, it's not about left versus right. You've heard this a million times from people far more articulate and far brighter than me. But this is, this is not about that. And for as long as people continue to think that way, Alex, I, I, think, I think we're fucked. <laughs> well, from your lips to God's ears. Not that last part. The, part <laughs> the penultimate part. No, I think uh, uh, it's always, I always go back to this basic question. Is it a persuasion issue or are we just marketing the ideas badly? Is it just, do people find the ideas repulsive because the ideas are at, uh, is it because of the way we're explaining it or is it the content? I go back and forth on this. I don't have a good answer. And I'm not going to pretend to have a good answer. The only thing that I can think to do is trying to find those very few areas where there still might be a scintilla of overlap between left and right and convince people, look, on this issue, surely we can agree at least on this, that we need to roll this back or we need to be rarely doing more of this. Uh, even if with the battle lines as starkly drawn as they are, for example, I think that you can get a pretty good coalition on both the right and the left opposed to corporate welfare. Right? The left is classically opposed to corporatism. Uh, the right was previously a little bit more friendly to it because the political institutionalized right didn't understand the difference between being pro-business and being pro-market, or rather they did understand it and pretended not to for political purposes. But the new sort of right-wing coalition that's emerged since 2016 is definitely going to be opposed to something like corporate welfare. So that should seem like an issue on which there could be broad agreement that we got to roll back these subsidies, the Export-Import Bank, et cetera, et cetera. We should not be doing these things. And yet the acrimony is so high that it seems like anytime you try and pitch one side a proposal that the other side might also like, that instantly becomes evidence against it and you lose your coalition. So I'm worried about just the basic first step of talking to people 
and trying to persuade them, look, we're in an arms race right now. And I don't know if you know, but nobody actually wins an arms race, right? Going back to the 1980s movie, War Games. Uh, the only way to win is not to play. Just back <laughs> off, think about what you're doing, lower the stakes, find X, Y, Z issues we have in common where we agree that this is just stupid and icky and we should stop. But I'm worried that the lack of an ability to even get someone to the other side of the table is going to mean that it's going to be acrimonious for quite some time. I think a good way to go forward would be, again, talking back to our previous conversation that we had for the wing of the GOP that did not support the election fraud narrative to discipline its own. That would be at least a good first start to finding some commonality. Uh, I don't understand internal Democratic Party politics at all, so I'm not going to pretend to tell them what to do. But there needs to be something from both sides if we're going to get past this. And I don't think it much matters who goes first. I that that's that's the tricky part, though, because that that is that is what worries me. Um, you know, I I I have a very unpopular opinion of term limits. I I think you know, like term limits USA. I, I like I like the idea, but it's like you know that we're what we're trying to do is we're trying to bandage a bullet wound, and the problem is the the problem isn't that these people have been in power for so many years. For example, just just focusing on this, it's that people keep electing them back, and, and it's the same thing when it comes to how do we discipline bad politicians, because it doesn't matter that me in Virginia does not like AOC. The thing is that the only people that can discipline her are her own people. Because if she keeps getting reelected, it doesn't matter what somebody in Texas or Georgia or Florida or Tennessee says, you know, you might not like those people, but they keep getting elected back with Ted Cruz. Uh, you know, that, that Beto O'Rourke race in 2018, that was kind of scary. And even this year, the president barely held on to Texas. And that, that is something that's, that for me, I, I feel is horrifying as somebody that traditionally votes Republican. But, but right now it's like, I think the only way to ensure that people will look at the situation and think, okay, it was at least done arguably right. is kind of like what happened in Georgia. They don't like these people because they're bad to their constituents. They don't, they, don't, they don't help grandma get her social security check. They don't vote the way they like. And they may have committed, um, you know, uh, an SC, a massive like insider trading crime. So, you know, that, that's one of those situations where it's like, I look at it and many other people look at it and it's like, you know, those people weren't, weren't, weren't worth saving. I think if people really, really pay attention to this and they actually want to discipline Ted Cruz or the others and stuff like this. The, the only way is just to hope that their own constituents do it because any other way, any other formal remover removal or censuring or something, I, I, I don't think that that's going to help things at all. I think that's right. I think at the end of the day, it has to start with the constituents. Uh, I've written, I already dashed off a very angry letter to my own congressional representative, uh, Jody Arrington, the Republican, Republican, excuse me, from the Texas 19th. He was complicit in the election fraud narrative and was flirting with rhetoric that predictably resulted in what we saw on January 6th. And so I what, what, what'd you say if you could kind of jump into that a little bit? I wrote a very brief letter explaining why I thought that the Capitol riots happened, 
that he was morally complicit, not legally, but morally complicit in the seditious acts that took place that day. And I thought that he should resign. And I really do. I think that about him, Jody Arrington. I think that about Senator Cruz. I think that about Senator Hawley. I really think that they have disgraced their offices and should resign for the public good. I don't think they're going to because the only reason that we're in this position in the first place is because these people care more about their political ambitions than they do the public welfare. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation about the, about the assault on the Capitol building. But the bottom line is, again, it has to start with people actually taking the time to put pen to paper and write to their elected officials. Because you can write off a phone call and you can write off an email. But if someone's actually going to take the time to write a letter, chances are they're pretty angry about something. If you get enough people angry, eventually politicians will start to listen. Uh, changing the topic slightly, you talked about term limits. My even more bizarre position on term limits is that I support them, but for bureaucrats, not politicians. <laughs> support bureaucratic term limits. There should be no lifetime GS-15s hanging out in Bethesda. Oh man, that that is uh, you're you're definitely not winning winning defense contractor points with that. I mean, this is th- this is one of those situations where I, I I think the terms we use is is often very very telling of the time times we live in, because I'm really curious as to whether or not you know terms like MAGA, make America great again, America first. I wonder if those are going to die once the campaigns die down. I am really curious as to how you know deep state that term is going to stick around because I, you know, I, I never felt that the deep state was that freaking deep. The deep state was actually pretty public and it, you know, this, this iron triangle of lobbyists and politicians and bureaucrats, like people tend to only focus on, on them. And then they get surprised when it's like, wait, you mean that they're actual people that are writing policy within these departments and these agencies that actually do more to impact me than, than so-and-so from what that state is. I mean, it's, it, it, it's one of these moments where I, I stopped being mad at politicians a long time ago. I, I don't like AOC, but I don't hate AOC. I don't like Nancy Pelosi. I don't hate Nancy Pelosi. I don't like Tom Cotton. I don't hate Tom Cotton. And I'm not as disappointed as them in them as they do these things because it's like, you know, and, and not to get too much in the weeds, but it's like, you know, 17th Amendment, direct election of Sanders. I think that was one of the worst things to ever happen because it took away uh, powers from the states that, you know, are constantly ignored in the 10th Amendment. But it's like, you know, they, they keep going back for this reason. I have enough conversations with people. They're like, oh, Nancy Pelosi's been there for 30 years. God, why? And I'm like, because she keeps getting reelected that way. Because no one, and that, that, that leads us to the other big lie that's told on the, on the presidential debate stage of every election, which is, well, I trust the voters to make the right choice. It's like, no one really does. Because... <laughs> They, they really don't. And we can blame the politicians, but, you know, I'll, I'll say I'll, 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 I'll jump on the cross for this one. American voters are causing all these problems. I think we need to take an evaluation of ourselves because we're not doing that great. If we have a 92% disapproval rate of Congress, but we have a 98% reelected incumbent rate, that's, that's some bipolar schizo shit right there. That's okay. It's everybody else's representatives. I totally agree with both of those major points that you just made. The deep state isn't deep. It's been around forever, right? Anybody who has any awareness of American politics understands that there are organs that actually write the laws and have 
influence in public policy that are nowhere near an election or, or ever will be near an election. And that's not per se bad. The bad thing is there doesn't appear to be any sort of a responsibility mechanism, right? These aren't the people who bear the cost when things go wrong. These aren't the th- people who get rewarded when things go well. And whenever you have people wielding power outside of a responsibility mechanism, guess what? You're going to get really, really bad results. And of course, going back to the 17th, yeah, again, absolutely, because the whole point of the Senate was to make it a deliberative body that was not populist or even majoritarian. It was supposed to be an old boys club. It was supposed to be the group of people that the state legislators themselves picked to be agents to look after their interests. It wasn't ever meant to be another majoritarian institution. That's what the House is for. The idea is you can get, you know, the man of the people in the House. And if he could agree with whatever the fat cat senator agreed on, chances are if you can get those two people to agree, it actually should be done. It's a good idea. The idea was to draw representation from different segments of society, not just vertically, but horizontally as well. And everyone and their passion for democracy, which in the abstract is a pretty okay thing, I guess. People are saying, no, we want to move as many impediments as we possibly can to plebiscites. And then we're all surprised when things go badly. There's a reason it wasn't designed that way. Because it sucks that way. (laughs) I think that's the best way anybody could put that. I really do. Uh, Alexander, it's, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a serious conversation, but you know, it's a conversation that had to be had. And I thank you for taking the time to call today. If, uh, if people want to catch up with all of your work, if they want to keep up with your writings and everything else you do, so that way they can actually, you know, think about the things that are going on instead of just being told how to think, how could they do so? Yeah. Happy to provide that. So I do, uh, I am on Twitter. Alex W. Salter is my handle. I have a website, www.awsalter.com. That's where all of my academic and popular writings are. So if you want to look at an op-ed that I've written, if, uh, if the fancy strikes you and you want to read some of my obscure journal articles, you can find all that stuff there. So I'm trying not to tweet as much now. It's one of my New Year's resolutions to spend a little bit less time on Twitter, which I think will be both good for, uh, for me and the human race. <laughs> <laughs> But if you want to follow my stuff, I always put it out on Twitter just to get the word out there. And then all of my writings, uh, including the letter to the editor that I just mentioned to my congressman, uh, all that's archived at my website, just to click away. Perfect. And folks, I'll go ahead and make it easier for you. I'll just go ahead and include everything in the show notes of today's episode. Alexander Salter, thank you so much for joining the program today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Remzo. I had a great time. Well, folks, you know, conversations like this only happen because you share the episodes, you tell your friends and you keep coming back. The one thing that I will ask is that, you know, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts on Al Gore's amazing internet, Uh, you know, letting people know about the conversations we're having here. So that way we could think more clearly about the world around us, develop the mindset and skills to live a freer life and ultimately Uh, create an environment of more prosperity for those around us. It's happening here. It's happening with you. And I thank you once again. I'm Ramsey W. Martinez. You're listening to On the Run, the We Are Libertarians Network. Good night. And I will talk to you later this week. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. 
Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like The Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends. 